Hello and welcome to According to John. Today we're going to be on the eighth episode on the days of Noah with Martin Dahan. And today the title is Wars and Rumors of Wars. Let's get to it. In answer to the question of the disciples, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world, Jesus said, Take heed, no man deceive you, Matthew 24, 4. In our previous message, we pointed out that of all the signs of Jesus' second coming, the one which leads the list is a solemn warning against deception and false Christ and false prophets. Because of the prominent place Jesus gives to this first sign, we reemphasize the importance of this first item in Jesus' list of indications of the close of the age. Throughout the Bible, wherever it speaks about the last days, the passages are usually preceded or accompanied by a warning against deception concerning prophetic truth. The Lord Jesus knew about all the false interpretations, denials, perversions, which Satan would foist upon the people of God in the latter days concerning the truth of his second coming. The devil knows the power of that blessed hope of the believer and would do everything in his power to rob God's people of this stimulating energizing, comforting, and purifying hope. No wonder he tries to confuse God's children by all the deceptive means at his disposal, by causing all sorts of foolish interpretations to be raised by the deceivers of the last days, who come in the name of Christ in quotations from the word of God. But still, they are deceivers. Some would deny the fact of Christ's return. Others would rob the truth of his power by delaying his return. Placing some event or events between now and the possibility of his imminent any moment return. Still others would debauch the truth by fantastic claims and so-called additional revelations concerning the exact time. As a result of this confusion, many Christians know not what to believe and therefore ignore and refuse the study of the subject. That is exactly what the devil would have us to do. He wants us to forget about the coming again of Christ, as though it were not an important matter at all. Hence, we find well-meaning, sincere Christians repeating the misleading argument. Well, the truth of Christ's return is not a fundamental matter, not a basic essential doctrine. It is not necessary for salvation. But this is utterly wrong. For if it is not an important, basic, fundamental doctrine, then why did the Holy Spirit devote more time and space to it in the Scriptures than any other fact, not excluding the revelation concerning the first coming of Christ? So remember the first sign Jesus gave his disciples. Take heed that no man deceive you. Be on guard, Jesus seems to say. Be on the lookout for human deceptions, interpretations, and claims. Test everything by the word of God and reject everything else. The final test is, what saith the scriptures? And if you don't know the scriptures, you cannot discern what is right or wrong. Ignorance of the word of God is the one great cause for the success of these present-day deceivers. After this warning against deceivers, he adds a second sign, false messiahs. Jesus said, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, Matthew 24, 5. We are told that in the past 50 years, no less than 1,100 leaders in various parts of the world have claimed to be Christ and the Savior of the world. They have called themselves by the names of deity, divine father, the great I am, and a thousand others all claiming the prerogatives of deity and Christ. And all of them have found eager, deluded followers in fulfillment of Jesus' words, they shall deceive many. 
The third sign which Jesus gives is wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation. Now, if you object and say there have always been wars and rumors of wars, we, of course, agree. But never before on a scale such as we have today. You may read history as far back as you wish, and you will find no parallel to current international conditions with our present suicidal, uh, annihilatory instruments of destruction. In our own brief lifetime, we have experienced two major world wars and scores of lesser ones all over the world. And now we are desperately trying to avert a suicidal atomic catastrophe. The world today is a seething sea of unrest, suspicion, and misunderstanding, with the greatest preparations for war in all of history. Jesus dared to predict almost 2,000 years ago that man in the 20th century would not yet have brought about peace. Suppose during these two millenniums the nations had found a formula for world peace and abolishment of war. Jesus would have been proven mistaken. But he dared to stake his authority on a prediction 2,000 years into the future. Famines and pestilences are next mentioned, Matthew 24, 7. As man has been unable to solve the military problem, so he has failed to solve the problem of famine, disease, and death. Today, hunger and starvation are taking their dread toll in many lands, while in other lands such surplus of foods exist that laws are passing, curtailing further production, and vast stores of these overproduced foods are decaying in storehouses. There are today millions living on starvation diets while we in the United States are at a loss what to do with our surplus foods. Following the warning against false teachers and messiahs, wars and rumors of wars, famine and pestilence, Jesus mentions earthquakes. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, Matthew 24, 7. Now, of course, we can expect the objection by some, but there have always been earthquakes and all these other conditions. To be sure, there have been. But the Bible says there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, meaning a number of earthquakes simultaneously in different geographic areas. Seismologists tell us the earth is in a state of almost constant tremor, and earthquakes of lesser or greater intensity are being recorded several times a day. It is only in recent years that several severe and destructive quakes in widely separated areas have occurred at the same time. While it is true that most of the signs mentioned in Matthew 24 have been present as far back as history records, never before have all signs been present at one time and the same time until this present day. We now come to a very important verse, marking a division in the events of the latter days. All these are the beginning of sorrows, Matthew 24, 8. This verse divides the chapter into two parts, the beginning and, following this verse, the consummation. What we have studied so far is called the beginning of sorrows. It included deceptions, false messiahs, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. These conditions, present day, are heralding the approach of the tribulation which will come upon this earth. Of these things Jesus said in Luke 21, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Luke 21:28. Right here we must insert a word of explanation. The things described in Matthew 24 must be placed in the tribulation period after the rapture of the church. This chapter deals primarily with the tribulation period between the translation of the body of Christ when Jesus shouts from the air 
and the second coming seven years later when he comes to the earth. The rapture, we believe, will precede the public second coming by seven years. And in the interval between the events recorded in Matthew 24 will reach the climax and fulfillment. These signs in Matthew 24 are therefore not primarily signs of the rapture, but signs indicating his second coming at the end of the tribulation. Since the rapture occurs at least seven years before the second coming, and we can already discern the signs of his coming at least seven years in the future, we can surmise how near the rapture might be. And Jesus said when these things begin to happen, we are to look for his imminent appearing. Returning now to the statement of Jesus in Matthew 24, 8, we read, All these are the beginning of sorrows. We notice next verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Since the events in Matthew 24 fall in the tribulation, and verse 8 marks off the beginning of sorrows, we believe the balance of the chapter deals with the last half of the tribulation, called in Scripture the Great Tribulation. During the first half of this seven-year period, the Antichrist, the man of sin, will befriend the nation of Israel, promise them peace and security in the land, and then suddenly, after three and one-half years, will turn coat, reveal his true identity, and seek to destroy the nation once and for all. This is the meaning of verse 9. Then, after the beginning of sorrows, shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. This, of course, refers to the nation of Israel, which will then pass through the time of Jacob's trouble and only be delivered by the supernatural intervention of their covenant-keeping God. This will be the time of testing for the nation of Israel and the separation of the true from the false. And so immediately after the announcement of the affliction of the nation, Jesus adds, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Matthew twenty four ten through 12. During the tribulation, God is going to convert a company of 144,000 Israelites, sons of Jacob, to be his true witnesses during those dark days. They will be supernaturally protected, and many others moved by fear will join themselves with this select company, only to fall by the wayside when the persecution comes. Jesus says, Many shall be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Treason and dishonesty will reach an all-time high. We believe this will reach its climax in the tribulation, but we already can trace the trend in the very days in which we are living. While we shall not pass through the tribulation, we shall be living in the shadow of those awful days right now, for world conditions today are beginning in a prelude to that dreadful time. The conditions in the world after the church is gone will not just suddenly arise, but will be merely an intensification and climaxing of conditions already present before the rapture of the church. All these conditions described as heralding the day of the Lord after we are raptured are already present before we are taken out, but are held in check by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, who now withholds until He, the Holy Spirit, be taken out of the way. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7. The presence of the church, the body of Christ, is a deterrent to the fulfillment of tribulation violence, for Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. Salt retards corruption, but when the believers, the salt of the earth, are caught away, the restraints will be lifted. Then will come Israel's final test when treason, hate, and betrayal shall bring to the light the true and the false the separation of the wise from the foolish virgins. 
Before we close this chapter, we must briefly consider the next verse, which climaxes what has gone before. Jesus adds, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Matthew twenty four thirteen. This has been a highly controversial verse, and many have interpreted this as an argument against eternal security and in favor of falling from grace. In answer, we remind you that this applies first of all to Israel in the tribulation and not by primarily interpretation to us at all, since we as members of the body of Christ will not be here during the time of tribulation, but will be with our Lord. The signs of Matthew 24 will be consummated after we are gone. Those of the people in the tribulation who have the seal of the living God will endure to the end, while those who bear the mark of the beast will be manifested as being false. The salvation of the true believers in that day will be evidenced by the fact that they endure to the end. Their endurance is the proof of genuineness. Their salvation does not depend on their endurance, but their endurance is the proof of their salvation. We may also apply this verse to the present time as well as to the tribulation saints. The mark of true and genuine salvation ever is that they shall endure to the end. How can we know the true from the false? By waiting until the end, and then only those who were really saved shall be found safe and secure. Those who endure to the end are manifested as true believers, because they did endure. Those who are not truly saved will therefore not endure to the end. The verse may equally well be translated, They that shall be saved will endure to the end. This verse, therefore, has nothing to do with falling from grace. And so we repeat again, the endurance of the believer is the proof and evidence of his salvation. Salvation does not depend on endurance, but endurance is the result of salvation. As we therefore look about us and see the multiplying signs of the last days, how important that we shall make our calling and election sure. The time of testing is drawing near, and only the wheat will be gathered at his return. But the tares shall be burned with unquenchable fire. Are you ready to meet the king? You can prepare yourself before it is too late by receiving him, Jesus, as your personal Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16, 31. Well, hey, guys, I hope that that helped you understand a little bit of what's coming. And as it talks about the wars and the rumors of wars and who's going to go through the tribulation period, what's going to happen then? Are true believers today going to go through it? I don't believe so. I agree with Dahan that we will be raptured out. I also believe that God spares his children from wrath. We read about that in First and Second Peter. And I just think that if you don't know Jesus Christ, boy, today's the day. It's never too late to bow your head and believe unto Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Guys, I hope that this has helped you. If it has, I pray that you would share it with others that might benefit from it. Please like, share, follow, subscribe, and until next week, God bless.